It is always amazing to me that as uh, I read through the Gospels how that a, a large part of our Lord's ministry was to expose the evils, uh, the oppressive, exploitive, and destructive nature of man-made religion. Welcome again to another episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson, and what we do here in this podcast is we talk about moving away from counterfeit Christianity and the toxic spirituality that it produces, and back into the green pastures of authentic, genuine faith as it is marked by genuine, joyful spirituality. So recently, I have um, been talking with many of uh, my clients in um, uh, my counseling work uh, in my office about their experience with the churches that they've been in. Uh, Many of these people are in their 50s, 60s, and even in their 70s, and they've been around the block. they've, um, They've done their best. They have entered into churches, they have uh, gotten involved, they have uh, been devoted, they've been giving, uh, they've really been sincere people. And they've come out of it bruised, scarred, beaten up, um, and, and wounded. And so there they sit in front of me in my counseling office. And we talk, and I listen, and uh, and I sense the Holy Spirit moving on their heart and mind and beginning a healing process. And it always strikes me that it's a healing process that is um, occurring within a context of healing from false religion. Uh, and, and over the years, as I've done this work, it's been clear to me that the devil's best work is done when he's uh, cloaked in religious garb. The devil's best work is done as an angel of light, propagating his false religion. And so we have to be aware of that. And I think if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, accurately, faithfully, that we too have to be willing to expose, to pull the curtain back and expose the prevalence of false Christianity and just how destructive it really is. I'm convinced that the unhappiness, the spiritual depression, the um, anxiety, and the immaturity among Christians is tied directly to the prevalence of false Christianity, half-baked, half-truths that produce half-Christians. I hope you can begin to appreciate just the reality of this, and because it certainly answers a lot of questions. It certainly gives us a lot of understanding as to why there are so many miserable Christians and why there is this growing demographic of people who call themselves the duns, uh, meaning that um, this term originated from the old federal forms or 
that you would fill out that, that would ask your religion and you'd say you know Protestant Catholic other none and then you check one of those boxes and so there's a new demographic called the duns and those who are oh, those are people who have uh, spent most of their Christian experience within the evangelical and or Pentecostal charismatic world um, uh, in some form of Protestantism and um, discovered it to be wanting uh, and, and have had to have a, the very traumatic exit, a very traumatic exit from um, toxic, counterfeit Christianity and um, are, are really left wandering and wondering what their Christian faith is about. Uh, it has been my experience that most of these people are very devoted Christians. They love the Lord Jesus. They are Trinitarian. They are uh, they hold a high view of the, the biblical text, uh, but they which only makes it more confusing as to why they experience so little um, of the voice of their shepherd in the in their church experience, and so. I think we have a, a very big responsibility to uh, be, as Christ's followers, be faithful to him by also exposing the false religion. Um, Jesus deliberately did this, by the way. Uh, throughout the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus deliberately um, encountered and engaged false religion. Uh, he spent most of Holy Week from the time that he, of his triumphal entry in, on Palm Sunday uh, up until the time of his arrest and his suffering, uh, exposing the false religious system that had become so entrenched within Jerusalem and within the temple worship. In particular, I want to share with you today a um, part of Mark chapter 7, which I think is very critical to your spiritual health. Uh, very critical to you overcoming spiritual depression and, and, and in the awful nature of that. I mean, spiritual depression isn't just about walking around feeling kind of sad because you didn't get the right kind of sermon you wanted on Sunday or um, because uh, your church closed. Or, or I'm talking about a, a deep, severe spiritual depression and, and fear that that um, uh, comes as a result of overexposure to toxic counterfeit Christianity. Uh, it affects us physically. Uh, people get migraines. They get digestive issues. They, it it's it's very deadly. It, it, let's listen. Genuine Christian faith is life giving because it is it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is the giver of life. And the and con, con, uh, contrary to that, then, is, of course, the counterfeit Christianity that is deadly. It is killer. It is a killer. It is to steal, kill, and destroy you. And if you stay within it long enough, it will accomplish that. And then you'll be left wondering what happened. So, this was the case in the first century. When Jesus began his ministry... The average first-century Jew was uh, encrusted and, and steeped 
within the religion of the, the temple, within the religion of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, there were also the Essenes, which were a desert group that kind of wanted to get away from it all. Uh, and then there were the Herodians, who were um, uh, something of, of uh, nationalists and supported King Herod. And, uh, and then the Zealots, who wanted to overthrow the Romans by uh, physical violence, um, political uh, action. Uh, not really much unlike we're at, where we're at today uh, in the West. And, and so, but the average Jew is just saturated with uh, a, a, an apostate, a corrupt form of Judaism that had become so normative to them that they didn't know any different. I mean, the traditions of men had completely eclipsed the word of God. The corruption of the Sadducees who controlled the temple had completely eclipsed the temple worship so that it had become a retail uh, profit center for the Sadducees and the, and the high priests uh, and the, his family. Again, it wasn't much different than it is today. It, it's a very similar spiritual environment that we're in today. And, and Jesus deliberately engaged that, deliberately confronted it, deliberately exposed it. And in Mark chapter 7, he does that again. Uh, apparently, the, the Pharisees and some of the scribes had gathered around Jesus when he came from Jerusalem. And they had seen his disciples eating bread with impure hands or unwashed hands because that was a violation of the Pharisees and, uh, and all the Jews who did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands in a ritual manner. It wasn't about hygiene. It was, about, it was symbolic. It was a ritual that they followed. And they looked down upon, seriously down upon, people who didn't follow their rituals. The Pharisees were kind of a layman's group. They were, um, for lack of a better reference, they, they were kind of the promise keepers of, of uh, that day. They were the ones who were really convinced that if, if they just really dug down and worked hard, they could become so righteous that God would be compelled to intervene and overthrow the Romans and bring in the Messianic Age. And they, of course, because of their righteousness, would be in, in, in the front of the line to receive God's blessing in his kingdom. And so they had it down. They had, it, they had their religion down to a, a science. They were convinced in their natural selves that they could pull this off. They could obey the law. They could honor the law by even... Uh, going beyond what the law required. That's, that's how they would show God how righteous they were. And so they had this whole system uh, built up. And the Pharisees and the scribes uh, joined up because the scribes were those who were experts in the law. And so they informed the Pharisees, and the Pharisees would consult with the scribes. Uh, and all the while, in the background, the Sadducees were who were kind of the cynical liberals of that day, were at the temple. Uh, they were had no real in, uh, sense of, of spirituality. They, had, they, they were really pretty much devoted to the first five 
books of the Bible. They didn't see the prophets as being inspired. They didn't see the Psalms or the Proverbs. They only saw the first five books, the Torah, as, in, as inspired uh, scripture. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in angels. Uh, they were very pragmatic in, in their religion, and it was all about getting the best life that you can get today. <laughs> A phrase we hear from others, don't we? So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why don't your disciples walk according to the traditions of the elders? But they eat their bread with impure hands. They, they were quite offended. I mean, it's likely that the disciples before Jesus had called them, they, they followed the traditions of the elders. And now suddenly they're following this Jesus, and they're not doing that anymore. And Jesus said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That, my friends, is what made it destructive. And that's what makes it destructive to you, is when pastors and elders and popular teachers begin to teach as doctrines their own precepts, their own tradition, their own view of things that are wholly unbiblical. When, they, when they're teaching you their, their system rather than um, the, the, the text itself, then you're, then you're losing ground. And he was also saying to them in verse 9 of chapter 7 of Mark, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Now these were the experts in the law that he was talking to. He said, Jesus said, yeah, you're experts all right. You're experts. You're experts at setting aside the commandment of God that you purport to, uh, you claim to... Uh, to keep. And then he gave him an example. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that you would be helped with is korban, that is to say, given to God. In other words, I. I can't really help you, Mom, to pay your rent this month, and I can't help you with your prescription bill because, well, I have to tithe. I've, I've got to, I've got to give my uh, this money I've got is dedicated to the Lord, and I have to use it for the Lord's sake. I can't really help you. And then they would use it, of course, for their own self indulgences. And then in verse twelve, and then Jesus says. You no longer permit anyone to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many such things as that. End quote. So Jesus pulls back the curtain. And he takes what had become a very normative way of thinking. And consequently, a very normative way of acting and exposed it as being fully corrupt 
a lie. I thought in May, read a book called Lies Preachers Tell. Because you don't have to go very far these days to find them. All kinds of lies that preachers tell. And it's difficult to admit, and I have said before, that it takes a lot of courage to begin to recognize your unhappiness is tied to a routine form of religion that masks itself as Christianity, that has the pretense of Christianity, uses Christian symbols and terminologies, but is lifeless, dead, toxic. And be able to say to that, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to participate in this anymore. But there better be some alternative. There better be something available to you. And let me address that now. Because you don't want to just leave. You don't want to just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going... Uh, there's an answer beyond that. And what I've said before... That what is really needed is not just to stop going to church or stop gathering or, or put your Christianity on hold. No, your Christianity is very important. It's just been mimicked. It's been mocked. It's been um, counterfeited. And so what you're really doing is you're saying no to the counterfeit so that you can begin to seek the voice of your shepherd once again. That's the key. The key to recovering joyful spirituality is to recover the voice of your shepherd. And on that point, let me say in verse 14 then of Mark, he says this, after he had just exposed the traditions of men and their destructive nature, he says this, after he called the crowd to him again, he began, to say, he began saying to them, quote, listen to me. All of you, and understand. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. These words of Jesus are calling these people away from the religious structure centered in Jerusalem of that day. Because it had become so corrupt, so exploitive, so oppressive, that there was nothing left of it except to come out of it. We often talk about Jesus cleansing the temple in John chapter 2 and the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. But the fact is, Jesus condemned that system. He judged that system. And now he's telling these people to stop listening to the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember, he warned his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. A little bit of their teaching will leaven your whole lump of thinking. So now he turns to them, having exposed the traditions of the elders, and says to them, Listen to me. Listen to me. All of you. And understand. 
He's not saying to just a few. He's saying it to all the people standing around. The time has come, he said, to stop listening to the Pharisees. Stop listening to the experts in the law. Stop listening and participating in the the corrupt temple worship. And instead, listen to me. Now try to grasp how huge this was. Try to appreciate how um, radical or dramatic this was. If you were standing around in this crowd, to have Jesus expose and rebuke everything that you thought was right, everything you thought was correct, everything you thought was of God, those who spoke for God, the priests the at the temple, the um, Pharisees even, the, and the experts in the law, the men who had the the inside track, who had the credentials, if you will. And you'd been taught all your life to listen to them and to the rabbis and to the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders. And there was an element of that that was good and right that they should do that. But it had become so corrupt and become so apostate in its approach to the scripture, in its genuine worship of God, that it was no longer credible. It had become a den of thieves. It had become a synagogue of Satan. And then comes this man out of Nazareth, of all places, out of Galilee, which had been a kind of a, a center for revolutionaries at one time. And he comes along and says, now listen to me. Don't listen to these people anymore. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. He says, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And some manuscripts have, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. End quote. There's the, there's the crossroads, folks. And we're right back there again. We're right back there again. We have to make a choice whether most of the religious structure within Protestantism, not to mention Catholicism and Greek Orthodoxy, I don't need to get into that because that's, that's, that's another whole topic. But within Protestantism, that quadrant I've mentioned in the past, the liberalism, the dispensationalists, the charismania, the Calvin, hyper-Calvinists, which all of that defines about 98.9% of uh, 
partisanism these days. And I maintain that it has become so corrupt, so apostate, it has drifted so far away from the Word of God, so far away from the life of the Spirit, that it's, it's, it's impossible to hear the voice of your shepherd there anymore. And so you're back at that point. We're back at that point in, in history, redemptive history, where we have to deliberately say, I'm not hearing the voice of my shepherd here anymore. I'm not experiencing the, the life-giving presence of God here any longer. I'm hearing something else, and I'm not, I'm not interested. And then make a commitment that your spiritual health is worth a recommitment, a rededication to discovering and resensitizing yourself. This is, this is the hard work. I mean, if you've been in a lifeless, dead environment for decades, or you've been in a corrupt church environment for decades, it's going to take a while for you to resensitize yourself to the voice of the Spirit in your life. Where the Spirit's been quenched and grieved and even insulted, it takes a while it takes, first of all, courage to come out of such an environment. And then it takes a while to resensitize, to recover yourself, to recover your spiritual life. I often hear people say, well, I'm going to really miss my friends and my small group if I, if I come out of this situation. I understand that. I, I really do. There is, there, there is some value in the social connection within any church. But if that church has become toxic and corrupt, and if it has so drifted away from the life of the Spirit and the integrity of the text of Scripture, then you might just be called to, to be a leader in your time because you're not alone there are others in your congregation most likely who are suffering as well and you may just be called to be the voice that says we're not going to do this anymore and don't be surprised if you hear others say the same thing don't be surprised if you hear others say you know I, I have felt that way for a long time myself and what I would suggest is that you simply say, well, we're not going to do this anymore. You may go to your pastor, you may confront the elders, and you may say, listen, we're not, going to de we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're not hearing the voice of, of, of our shepherd. We're not hearing, we're not experiencing the presence of God in our, in our services. We're, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm tired of the slack-eyed silliness and the pseudo game show host approach to the pulpit I don't want to hear jokes and funny stories I want to hear the word of God I want to have genuine fellowship I want to experience the life giving presence of God within this church and I don't do that anymore we don't do that anymore and if those pastors and churches don't 
elders don't respond, which many don't. Many of them just blow you off, write you off. You're a bad customer. You're simply a dissatisfied customer in their retail religion. <laughs> many of them won't even respond to you at all. I wrote a seven-page letter one time to a church that I was attending, uh, challenging them on their in their teaching of tithing from Malachi 3. And I did it with respect and was well-documented exegetically and, and well-documented even with New, New Testament scholarship to show that that was a violation of the New Covenant, the violation of our eschatological standing as Christians. And you know what I heard back? Nothing. Zero. I agonized over that letter. I prayed over that letter. I had friends and Christian friends and brothers and sisters read it and give me their input to make sure I was being uh, reasonable and gentle and kind and, and as well as firm and clear. And I sent it with a sense of fear and trembling. I don't want to be known as some radical, wild-eyed, crazy, divisive human being. But I don't want to sit and listen to falsehood either. So I sent that letter. And three, four, five, six, seven weeks went by and nothing. So don't expect that just because you confront your elders or the teaching in your church that they're just going to say, oh, boy, you're right. No, if they've got a system going there, Listen, Jesus confronted the Sadducees. Jesus confronted the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And their response was not to repent. Their response was to kill him. If they hated him, they're going to hate you too. But you've got to be willing to come out of that in, in order to recover. The most precious thing to your spiritual health is recovering the voice of of the Spirit in your life through the text by treating the text with its own integrity. As I've said before, take off your lenses. Remove your presuppositions to the degree that you can. Put aside your devotionals. Put aside your study Bibles. And just let the text speak to you. Learn to resensitize your heart and mind to soften your heart to the voice of the Spirit. And then, and then hold that as precious. And never again allow yourself to be in an environment or a relationship that would rob you of the voice of your shepherd. Because that's, that's, the, that's where we find our joy in our intimacy, our experiential and existential intimacy with our risen Lord through the ministry of the Spirit via the text of Scripture as lived out within healthy, loving relationships with each other. So listen to Him all of you, and understand 
In this context, Jesus was speaking to foods. He declared all foods as kosher, if you will. All foods were clean, which was shocking, again, to a first century Jew. Shocking. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is he can do that? Well, I can tell you who he was and who he remains to this day. God incarnate. God in this last, these last days, says the writer to the Hebrews, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And then the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 3 repeatedly. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says this repeatedly. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 8 of Hebrews. And then again in verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then in chapter 4, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's nothing more important to you in this troubling times in the world politically, socially, and economically. But most importantly, within this time, this era in which we're in of the church in Western culture, then to recapture and hold as precious the voice of your shepherd. That's the key to your happiness. That's the key to recovering joyful spirituality. And without that, folks, you're never going to be happy you're only going to get more depressed. You're only going to feel more confused, wandering and wondering where you go from here. Well, we'll end there today. If you have questions or comments, you're, you're welcome to send me an email at encounterrecovery at gmail.com. If you're looking for a fight, <laughs> or if you're a troll, please don't bother. I won't answer your email. I probably won't even read it all. <laughs> but if you're sincerely interested and you, you want to make some comments, or if these podcasts are helpful to you, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to know that. I have heard from some of you, and, it's, and I'm very gratified and very encouraged to know that you're being helped. That the blinders are coming off and you're beginning to see that you can in fact live in a joyful healthy spirituality as a result of the life-giving spirit of Christ in you oh may the lord preserve you and keep you until we till we meet again amen <laughs>